0: Let us now listen for God's holy word. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, Because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, my husband John and I were traveling back from Colorado, and as you have that long drive through New Mexico and West Texas, you kind of look for something to catch your attention, and I found it. We passed through a small town, and this little church there had a sign stuck in its front lawn that said, Building to Preserve Our Faith. For some reason, those words struck me, building to preserve our faith. It was obvious that they were in a building program, so perhaps they were associating this new building, new growth, as a way of preserving their faith. Maybe they were trying to encourage people to build their character up so that they would preserve their faith that way. But it struck me that perhaps they were dealing with change. And we have certainly been through our own building program here a number of years ago, and we all know the change that was involved in that. Indeed, our world deals with change all the time. Sometimes that change is good. Sometimes it's not so good. But change is with us in our individual lives, in our world, in our nation, in our church, we all face change. And sometimes if we feel threatened by change, our desire is to fight back, to preserve what we hold on to, what we know and hold dear to us. Sometimes it will cause us to do everything in our power to keep that change at bay. Saul of Tarsus lived in a world of change, and it was a time of turmoil. And as I read the scriptures, I think it was probably not quite so different from our own time in dealing with change. But here was Saul of Tarsus. He was a brilliant, intelligent, devoted young man committed to God. And as he says in his own words in Galatians 1.4, that he was advanced in Judaism beyond his years, and he was a Pharisee, extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Saul was a student of the great rabbi Gamaliel, who was considered one of the greatest of the Jewish teachers he was studying and rising in the ranks of the Pharisees. And one indication we have of that, if you recall the story of the stoning of Stephen, Saul is the one who is standing there holding the coats of those who are doing the stoning. That would have been a place of prestige for him. And perhaps that experience of watching Stephen was fueling his own desire To move quickly, to stamp out any sparks of this new approach that the followers of Jesus were preaching. He did not want what they were trying to start to suddenly become a full-blown fire. So Saul made it his cause, his purpose, to root out these transgressors, to arrest them and bring them to justice. Protection and preservation were his objectives and he was persecuting the church, the early church, because he felt threatened and he was so enraged and angered at the way that these people were acting and preaching. And he did not believe it was right. He was consumed with fire. But if we look closely, the fire was fueled by hate, not love. It was fueled by anger, not peace. It was fueled by misunderstanding and clinging so to the traditions of his fathers that he couldn't take time to really search out God's revelation. He was arrogant, he was self righteous. He was prideful. He was not humble. All of these things added into the fire that burned in Saul and made him so angry against those followers of Jesus. Now, we can say that and we can see that because we live in the 21st century. We have the scriptures. We have our history. And we know that Saul was misdirected in his understanding and in his thinking and in his actions. But at that time, Saul didn't think he was misdirected. He believed he was absolutely right in what he was doing to defend and protect God and the Jewish faith from its enemies. By his own choice now, he had gone to the Sanhedrin, he had gotten permission to move beyond Jerusalem, where he had been focusing his persecution, to reach out to Damascus, a good six-day journey away. And so Saul finds himself on this dusty road with soldiers who are accompanying him. And it got me to thinking, what would he do while he was riding that horse? He wouldn't have talked to the soldiers For they were beneath him. Having just been on a long trip and knowing how bored you can get and how often I pulled out my smartphone and played a game or tried to surf the Internet or check the weather, those kinds of things, Saul didn't have that. So what was he doing? Well, perhaps he was reviewing scripture in his mind. He knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. Perhaps he was meditating, perhaps he was praying, or perhaps he was trying to devise the best plan possible to get rid of those pesky followers of Jesus. We don't know. But N.T. Wright, who is a theologian, offers a theory on this. He suggests that Paul was indeed in prayer and meditation. In the first century Judaism, there was a practice of meditation, That was used in a very special way by a special group. They would focus in sustained contemplation on the vision found in Ezekiel chapter 1. In this vision, if you have ever read it, it's a very hard vision to understand. He talks about how this throne chariot seems to be coming out of heaven, and it has wheels and wheels in wheels, and so it can go in any direction it wants, and the wheels have eyes, and it's accompanied by angels with four faces. There is blazing light and fire. It's really a rather scary vision. And in fact, many of the rabbis in that day said, if you were under 30, you should not attempt to understand this vision. It was too dangerous. Another story says that one of the rabbis, Ben-Zakai, and his disciples, whenever they looked at the vision of of Ezekiel, that they saw this glow, fiery glow, all around them. It was a powerful vision. And perhaps Saul was meditating deeply on this vision, perhaps to keep himself focused on his task, Or maybe he was hoping that he too would have a vision like Ezekiel. Well, as the Lord would have it, he did have a vision, only it was not like Ezekiel's. Instead, he encountered the risen and alive Jesus Christ. And he is blinded by this light that he describes as brighter than the sun. And he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Some call this a conversion experience. Some would call it a call to ministry. But I do like the way N.T. Wright calls it that it was a volcanic eruption, a thunderstorm, and a tsunami all in one moment. Powerful, life changing. And when Paul experiences this, he begins to realize that he is persecuting Jesus, who is alive. That by persecuting the early Christians, he is also persecuting the Lord. A reminder to all of us that we should not seek to hurt or defame another in the church because we can be persecuting Christ. And he had ignored what his teacher, his rabbi, Gamaliel, had said. Earlier, when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, he had told his peers, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. And so Paul, having had this amazing encounter gets up but he cannot see he is blind blinded by the light of christ and he has to then be led by the soldiers into damascus and there for three days he has an opportunity to think things over and can you imagine the inner turmoil that had to be happening in him there must have been fear and terror There must have been shame and guilt coupled with the awe and the glory and the amazement of what had happened to him on the road. In a sense, these three days that Saul is left in blindness, we might liken to a tomb experience in which all that he had understood and believed was overturned. And it was transformed and resurrected into a new understanding that was wrapped and bound in the love of Jesus Christ. Surely God must have been at work in Saul from the time he was born to prepare him for this great purpose that God had in mind. Saul had been so busy, though, in his zeal that he had not been able to see what was happening What God was really doing in Jesus Christ. Now the Lord, we are told in the scriptures that follow, sent Ananias to minister to Paul to pray for him so that his sight would be restored. And Ananias then brings Saul into the community of faith where he can experience the great love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ, where he comes to know salvation in Christ. He was taken to a house on Straight Street. Maybe that is a symbol that he is straightening out in his understanding of who Christ is and what Christ can do. The Christian community was changed, too because they had to receive Saul, the one who had been out to get them, and to nurture him and bring him along in the faith. But through that experience of God's love in Christian community, Saul, the persecutor, is changed into Paul, the apostle, and will take Christianity to the Gentiles and change our world. as I looked at this passage and sought to discern what might be the message in it for us today. It occurs to me that while Saul was deeply committed to God, he had become even more zealous for a cause. Now, a cause in itself is not bad or good, and causes can be wonderful. But if we allow that cause to overtake us, to rule us, to guide us without seeking God's will in it we can run into danger. And so I think what would God have me do? I have not had a conversion experience like Saul and I bet that you have it either. So what is God saying to us? For me it raises a question. Am I more committed to a cause, even if that cause is for good, than I am willing to surrender myself to the person of Jesus Christ, to allow God's love, mercy, and grace to infiltrate me and use me to be a blessing to others? How I answer that question, how you answer that question, can make a difference. Saul had to ask himself a similar question. He found his answer, and his answer changed the world. May it do so for us as well. Amen.